Dark Winter Nights, Two Stories from Alaska is produced with support from the University of Alaska Fairbanks Communication and Journalism Department, UAF Kojo, Tell Great Stories. You know the saying, up a creek without a paddle? It's a bad situation. Well, up here in Alaska, we have a way of taking bad situations to whole new levels. Frankly, you could say we're good at being up a creek without a canoe. In today's episode of Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, Haley McKegg shares her story about a canoe trip with her friend Jimmy that started with a canoe, but the canoe did not complete the journey with them. Just kind of saw this colorful spread of gear floating away down the river and Jimmy kind of flailing his way to the to the shore and uh, for a split second even though the water was rushing around the rock really fast and it was super loud I had this moment where I caught my water bottle in the river and it was just so peaceful watching it just slowly float away this is Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, the Upper Creek Without a Canoe episode. I'm Rob Prince. Haley McKeg and her friend Jimmy were more like family than friends. In her own words, Jimmy had a heart of gold, but he could also be a real jerk. About seven years ago in September, Jimmy, who was in his mid-60s, invited her to go on a canoeing moose hunt. Haley was fairly new to Alaska and had never hunted moose before. She didn't actually have that much canoeing experience either, but she was game to give it a try. After a hectic night that started by driving over 100 miles one way to Central to drop off a truck at their takeout spot and ended in a memorable experience in the Central Bar where she made a new friend named Oli. Remember that name because he reappears later in the story. Haley was packed up and all ready to go early the next morning. She shared this story at our March 2019 live event here in Fairbanks. Here's Haley. So I knew Jimmy wanted to get a really early start, so I got up at 6 a.m., did my final little packing, and I was out on my porch, and I was ready to go. And I lived right across the creek from Jimmy, so I was looking over at his cabin. It was just like, okay, he's going to be popping out any minute now. Uh, an hour went by, two hours, two and a half hours. Um, and finally, Jimmy came bursting out of his cabin like a chicken with his head cut off, and he was just like pulling gear from here, shoving it there, tying knots, untying knots, packing, repacking, like total mess. Like he was not ready at all. Um, so after much ado, by the crack of 11:30 a.m., uh, we were ready. We were ready to go. So we made it to Birch Creek and. Be like I said, I had very little canoe experience, so naturally I would be in the back of the canoe where I would be in charge of all the steering. And Jimmy was in the front of the canoe um, moose hunting, which I found out on this trip that moose hunting must mean doing very little paddling and having a rifle between your legs in a canoe. Um, and so when we first got into the river, river we just started doing circles. Um, <laughs> And Jimmy and I both kind of looked at one another like, oh, ready or not, here we go. Um, but I got it under control and I figured it out. And after a little while, you know, we straightened out and then I was feeling like an old time river rat, you know, in no time at all, learning how to read the river. And uh, I learned how to line a canoe through some tricky waters and things were going well. And we were just cruising along, no personality hiccups. 
Um, and we were just, it was just us for days. And by day four, I was like, okay, I've definitely spent four days in the canoe with just Jimmy. Um, and I was, I had a little bit of a headache. I was probably dehydrated. I was tired. And I was just kind of needing, needing a little break. So we decided to take an early night. We had already caught some grayling earlier that day. So I quickly set up my tent, got a fire going to cook the grayling, went down to the water to clean the fish, cut them up, get them ready to cook, came back. And that time, I think Jimmy had like unrolled his sleeping bag. I don't know what he was up to, but he was really interested in how I was cooking the fish and not in a good way. He was just nitpicking every little thing that I did and like complaining that a little piece was hanging over the edge of the pan, like I should have cut it smaller or whatever. And so eventually I was just like, okay, Jimmy, it seems like you have a really particular way that you would like to cook this fish, so just have at, do your thing. And he was like, well, it's just that I don't usually like to hang out with people that I have to babysit. <laughs> oh, okay. So I don't think I told him to go F himself, but that was pretty much the energy that I was emanating at that point. Um, and I silently ate a few bites of fish and, and called it a really early night that evening. But I've got to give it to Jimmy. He really surprised me the next morning. He's not one that's big on apologies, but he did apologize to me the next morning when he got up. He told me that he was sorry that I was so sensitive about what he said to me last <laughs> night. <laughs> um, really just such a great guy. So um, <laughs> with that behind us, uh, we, we just hopped back in the boat and uh, we were, we were on, on the road again, so to speak, and had another beautiful day. I forgot to mention the weather this whole time has just been amazing. Sunny, 70 degrees, no bugs, just the days that we all live for up here. Uh, the leaves were getting more golden with every hour, it seemed. Um, and towards the later part of the fifth day, the sun was at a lower angle in the sky. It was making the water a little bit harder to read. We decided we should start looking for a campsite. And shortly after that, I saw, uh, looked down river and I saw two haystack rocks. So just rocks with water billowing over them. Um, Downriver, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to split the middle, try to th uh, thread the needle between those two, uh, stay in the deeper water. And as I approached, I realized at the very last second that those weren't two, two separate haystacks. It was actually one giant boulder that was sticking out of the water so far that there was just water riffling on either side. Um, and Jimmy realized at the same split second um, and all he said was, oh, as we careened into this giant boulder. So the next thing I knew, I was just like in a ready stance. I had one arm around the canoe and I had the paddle in my other hand. Um, and Jimmy had said that before we had started the trip, that if, if we tip the canoe, that it was my job to hold on to the canoe and to not lose my paddle. So I, I did my job. Um, <laughs> But I quickly realized that the canoe wasn't going anywhere. So I was like, okay, got the canoe, that's fine. Um, it was totally, it was the force of the water had just wrapped the canoe around this rock. Like it literally was not going anywhere. It actually, I think we found out later, it took two years for the ice to break the canoe free from the, from the rock. But um, so it was, it was wrapped around there very well. Um, 
And so I was like, okay, next order of business, I'm chest deep in near freezing water. So I climbed uh, over the canoe on top of the big rock that we had just hit. And at that point was able to assess what Jimmy was up to. And I first just kind of saw this colorful spread of gear floating away down the river and um, Jimmy kind of flailing his way to the, to the shore. And uh, for a split second, even though the water was rushing around the rock really fast, and it was super loud, I had this moment where I caught my water bottle in the river and it was just so peaceful, watching it just slowly float away. <laughs> And then I checked back in with what Jimmy was up to. At this point, he's running back and forth on the shore, um, yelling things to me that I couldn't hear over the water. And so I was just sitting there watching. He eventually cut down a willow and then jumped back in the river um, upstream and was floating towards me. I was like, what? And as he got closer, he was holding onto this willow and he was like, pull me up pull me up when I get closer, pull me up. So I was like, all right. So I pulled him back up onto the rock and so then like, all right, great. Now we're both on the rock in the middle of the river. Like, <laughs> what, what's the game plan here? So he wanted to get some more gear out of what was left in the canoe, which I understand he had lost a lot of gear, including his rifle. Um, and our food barrel was being held in there by the pressure of the water. Uh, so he was able to get get a few more things out of the canoe, but it was super dangerous. If he had slipped, you know, he could have easily gotten pinned between the canoe and the rock. Um, but anyways, he did it. He was in and out of the water a bunch of times, and then we both swam back to the shore after that. Um, so changed into dry clothes really quickly, and I was like, looking at Jimmy, he was pretty pale. His lips were purple. He was his mobility wasn't the best. I was like, oh. We should get you warm, um, even though it was a really warm day out. He had been in the water a bunch. But he explained to me that he had lost his bedroll. That was one of the colorful items that had floated away. And so, so I did some quick math. One sleeping bag, two OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should totally go get look for your stuff, right? Um, <laughs> so we walked probably like a mile before we found his stuff and there was really no pl and it was on the other side of the river of course the where it had washed up and so we looked and looked we couldn't find a place to cross at this point the river was just so wide and deep there was no real good place to cross so jimmy decided that he was going to swim for it and again i was like oh this is such a bad plan but i don't want to have a slumber party tonight <laughs> So I became Jimmy's biggest cheerleader. I was just like, yes, you got this, buddy. Um, so he started to take his shoes and socks off. And um, just then, as he was taking his shoes and socks off, this raft of Texans came barreling around the corner, another hunting party. Uh, and they were so relieved to see us because they had seen the wreckage like a mile upstream and they had been looking for us and yelling and they were thinking the worst at this point. They were super stoked to see us. They helped us retrieve some gear um, and then apologized that they couldn't take us with them, but they were totally loaded down. Um, so they were on their way. That night we set up camp and Jimmy put his his bivy sack super close to my tent, which was unusual. And I'm just kind of like, oh, 
Oh, you lost your rifle and I have the bear spray. Okay, so we had a little bit cozier night that night. Um, the next morning we woke up and we realized we were kind of at the mercy of whoever else was on the river because it was 15 miles overland to get back to the highway. And uh, Jimmy wasn't in a position to be able to do that hike. So um, we first went up and put some flagging tape along the river upstream so anyone coming down would know, you know, be alerted that there was something going on. And then we condensed our gear down as much as possible because we were basically thumbing it on the river at that point, like, ugh. We had no idea how long it would be until someone else came along, so I decided to go back up river and go fishing. And as I walked around the corner, there were some folks that were on the river trying to figure out what the flagging tape was all about. So it was like, oh, they're like, I explained to them what happened. They're like, how's your canoe? I was like, oh, the canoe is done. <laughs> the canoe's not going anywhere. They're like, oh, well, we actually have an extra raft with us because they brought a second raft in case they got two moose and they had just gotten one and they were trying to get out because it had been so warm they didn't want their meat to spoil. So they, they lended us this eight foot rubber raft. We were just, the sun was shining on us that day. Um, we really just had it made. So before we knew it, with very little time lost, we were back on the river again. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, and at this point, the water was really flat and wide, like I had said, and so it was just about 20 miles of flat water paddling between us and the truck. So we just started paddling, and before long, we started seeing some boats that had come up from Central. The water was deep enough that jet boats and things could come up. Um, and we saw one kind of pulled up, just stopped, so we, we paddled over to say hello. And as we paddled up, someone went, Haley? And I was just like, Oli! Um, so we explained to Oli what had happened, and he was just like, man, you look like you could use a beer. He handed me a beer, handed Jimmy a beer. We sat there BSing, catching up. Um, I was a smoker at the time. He knew my cigarettes got wet, so he gave me a pack of smokes handed me a bottle of Crown Royal whiskey. Um, I took a sip of whiskey and I handed the bottle to Jimmy and he upended this bottle of whiskey and it was just like gluck, 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 gluck. Just pounded it. And I was in such disbelief. I was just mortified. I was just like not even thinking about how drunk he was about to be. I was just like, like that was just so rude. Um, Drinking all of some other generous person's whiskey, like you just don't do that. Um, but they took it, they took it in stride. They were like, oh, it happens, no big deal. Uh, and they were headed upstream to go fishing, so we parted ways, and as we were parting ways, I was like, Haha, I'll see you in a couple hours when you drag us out of here. Um, kind of motioning at Jimmy, who was already slurring his words, and like a little weeble wobbly. Um, so they took off. At this point, I was in the front of our little eight-foot ovular rubber dinghy that didn't track very well. Um, and so we started paddling. Not two minutes after the, the boat left, I just heard kerplunk. And I looked behind me, and sure enough, Jimmy was in the water, just totally incoherent, just like bobbing. And... I couldn't believe it. I was like, thank goodness he has a life jacket on, oh my gosh. Um, 
so I looked on both sides of the river. There were eight-foot walls. I was like, oh, I can't really get him out of the water. So I just grabbed onto his life jacket and pulled him over <laughs> to the side. And somehow was able to, like, superhuman adrenaline strength, like, roll him roll him back into the, into the raft. Like, okay, that, I can't believe that just happened. But we got him back in. And I saw that there was a silt bar about, oh, I don't know, whatever, 300 meters downstream. And I was like, okay, we just got to get there. We can get him warmed up, you know, dried off, whatever. And so I just started paddling, not really tracking, all over the place, getting to, heading in the right direction. And I heard splash. It's like, no way. You've got to be kidding me. Turned around, Jimmy's in the water again. <laughs> so this time I didn't even try to get him back in the boat. I just grabbed onto his life jacket and started paddling my way to the, to the sandbar. Got, got the boat up on shore. I was like, okay, good. There's a bunch of driftwood. I see some birch bark over there. Like, I'm going to be able to set up, get a nice hot fire going, no problem. But at this point, Jimmy is amb ambulatory again, but like, like a 200-pound drunken toddler, like just like <laughs> cruising all over, weeble wobbling his way around the sandbar, I was like, oh my gosh, he's gonna break a hip. Like, he kept, he tried to go back into the water. It's like, what are you doing? I don't know if he had to pee, like his pants were undone and they were part of the way down. And at this point, if it was a cartoon, right, I would have, you would have just seen the red line just going up, up and up and then steam coming out of my ears. And I literally, he couldn't hear me because I mean, he was, totally drunk and then also like his hearing aids had been underwater several times. <laughs> but if he could hear me, what I was yelling was, you don't like to hang out with people that you like to babysit. <laughs> Just livid. I eventually had to kind of just tackle the man and take him to the ground as gently as I could so that he would just stay down. Um, and he eventually fell asleep and I put him in a sleeping bag and I got a big fire going and the smoke from the fire was going directly in his face. But at that point I was like, you know what? I'm gonna cut my losses. I, thi I think he's got enough oxygen to survive. Like this, that seems fine. So I'm sitting there chain smoking cigarettes at like one in the afternoon because I, I'm seven miles from the truck and I'm just stuck on this bar with this man. Um, and before too long, Oli and his friends came back down river. They were done fishing and, at that spot and uh, they whizzed by and I was like, ah, oh. But then, but they had seen me, they were just going too fast, so they turned around, they came back, and they're like, what happened? I was like, this happened! <laughs> and so I, they didn't skip a beat, they just started throwing gear in their boat, and they loaded Jimmy up, they got him kind of propped up, passed out in, <laughs> in a seat. Uh, and Oli looked at me and he said, you wanna go fishing? It's like, heck yeah, I wanna go fishing. So we went pike fishing and I caught a 10 pound pike. It was super awesome. I got the catch of the day. Um, 
And then they, after we went fishing, they took us to the takeout where the truck was waiting for us. They helped me load gear in, and they um, got Jimmy in the back of the truck. He, he was snoozing away. So they left, and I just kind of had this moment to myself to reflect on how things had gone and what had happened. And I figured that my takeaway from the trip was Jimmy was right. It really sucks to hang out with people that you have to babysit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Haley McKegg. She shared that story at our March 2019 live event in Fairbanks. Thanks for listening to this Up a Creek Without a Canoe episode of Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska. Our show was edited by Ryan Peterson and myself, Rob Prince. Audio recording by John Huff and Matt Hutter of Alaska Universal Productions. Story consultation by Lori Neufeld. We're always looking for great true stories from Alaska to share with the world. If you have a story you'd like to tell, you can contact us at darkwinternights.com. Remember, these are the stories we tell up here in Alaska on Dark Winter Nights. I'm Rob Prince. 